Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons, a genetic and family investigator. And I'm Jody Klugman Rabb, a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed professional clinical counselor. Welcome to Sex, Lies, and the Truth. If you lived a chaotic and abusive childhood, this episode may be triggering or hard to hear. Today, Deronda shares her incredible story of a childhood as one of three kids with parents who were closely biologically related and not able to be the parents they should have been, resulting in more than just an NPE. I was born in the Central Valley in California in 1963. My mother was 18 years old when she got pregnant. I am her youngest, and my dad had just gotten out of the Navy, and they got together. They were actually second cousins. My cousins always teased me that I was inbred and I should have been retarded all kinds of things like that. Got a lot of teasing, but they were never married. My mother was married to somebody else who was in jail and she wasn't ready at 19 years old to be a mother to three kids. So my dad got custody of me and my two brothers went with an aunt and a great aunt. During childhood growing up, my mom would show up once every couple of years. I grew up pretty normal on the other side with my dad. He was married a couple times, and he died when I was 33 of cancer. That father Deronda refers to is her birth certificate father, but she didn't know that until she took an ancestry DNA test in 2018. Taking advantage of the holiday discount, Deronda and her 22-year-old son at the time cheerfully spit in the tube expecting some percentage of the anticipated Irish and German heritage to be reflected. I live in New Jersey now, and I got my results when I was back home in California for Christmas. I didn't know what I was looking at. It looked fine. Very, you know, I was 45% Irish, you know, European and a little bit of German, nothing out of the ordinary. And my cousin on my dad's side, his mom said that she did her test, but I don't see you matching me. I, I noticed I have a first cousin I never heard of before. So I'm just talking to my friends at work and they're like, well, contact him, see who he is. I did. And he wasn't related to her. He knew who his mom was. And I said, well, somehow, you know, we're first cousins. And I said, did you have any uncles that lived in Tulare, California in 1962? And he said, well, I had two that lived there. So I said, well, will you give me their names? And he wouldn't give me their names. He said he did last names, but very common names, Smith and Davis. I said, well, would would you mind contacting them? You know, maybe ask them if they knew my mother. And he said, they're both dead, but I'll contact their kids. Well, three weeks went by. I never heard from them. So my boss is like, well, contact the next person on the list. And I did. They knew who lived there. And I said, well, when did he die? And she goes, he's still alive. I said, your mother would be his niece. I said, do you have his contact information? She got it for me. I won't forget. It was Super Bowl Sunday. And I called him during the game. And I said, this is going to be a really strange phone call. I said, but just hear me out. I took an ancestry DNA test and I think you're my father. And he's like, what the hell? And I, did you 
know a lady named Mary Garner. He goes, yeah, I worked with Alice at the seatbelt factory. Alice is my grandmother. I said, yeah. And, and I said, well, did you ever go out with her? And he goes, yeah, we went out one, uh, one time. I said, well, I don't mean to be rude, but, you know, did you have sexual relations? And he goes, oh, I'm 76 years old. I don't remember that far back. He's like, well, I don't know about these DNA tests. And he was very skeptical. And I said, well, here's my number and think about it. And he called me the next day. He gave me a little more insight. He said his wife was sitting there and he didn't really want to discuss it, but it was what I call a hit and run. On a very memorable Super Bowl Sunday, Deronda makes contact with her presumed father. After the emotional hit and run, he called Deronda back, telling her he was good friends with her aunt and uncle and even went out with one of her cousins too. He still wasn't convinced the ancestor DNA test was correct, so he purchased his own, confirming Deronda's results. And things just got more uncomfortable from there. So he paid $525 for a DNA test at LabCorp. And it was uh, 99.9. So, and then I flew out and met him. It was very awkward. He wanted to pick me up at the airport. And I'm like, no, I'll meet you there. You know, and it was just very awkward. And I, I learned I had two brothers and an adopted sister. I felt no connection to any of them. And, and he calls me weekly. I, I trying to build a relationship with him, but it, it's hard. It's, they're a stranger to me. And at first I thought, oh, this is so cool. You know, I lost my dad 20, 24 years ago, but back then it was 22 years. I get a second chance. I get a new father, but I find it uh, very difficult. I did counseling, but I just, I don't even know how to say it. Every time I talk to him, it, it, it takes so much effort. Uh, yeah, fine. How's the weather? <laughs> you know, because what do you talk about? And I, I feel like he wants more from me, but I just don't, I don't know what I could give him that would make it better. I mean, he lives across the country, but I've flown out probably four or five times. And my kids, they don't really, they're like, whatever, really never had a grandpa because he died when they were young. I know he's like 76 years old or 77, and he's trying so hard. I don't want to deprive him of it. And I know that there's so many other MPEs that that the fathers don't want anything to do with them. I'm having trouble in understanding why I don't really want anything to do with him. And I've had to learn it's okay. It's okay if I don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, I'm always going to be nice. He still is biologically my father. Establishing relationships with biological family is always challenging. You don't know if you'll be able to get family and medical history to help you feel genetically belonging again, or if they will reject you or embrace you, or what secrets you're unearthing for others. It's really different for Deronda, as the interrelatedness in the family that this MPE discovery didn't actually eliminate. It only changed the degree of biological relationships for her, including her birth certificate dad. Now, one of my new half-brothers, I have a little bit of, in common with them. He adopted his wife's daughter, and she just thinks I'm after money. So she's quite rude. <laughs> and I lost my sister. She's not, no longer related to me. She was a half-sister. So she's no longer related to me. But growing up, I always 
had a feeling that there was something off. And after my dad died, I almost asked my sister to take a, a sibling DNA test because I, I, I've always thought that maybe my older brother's dad might've been my father because we looked so much alike. My brother's dad, his name was on my birth certificate. We have a lot in common, but so it was, it wasn't a total shock, but it definitely wasn't who I thought it was going to be. Where it's a little different um, from regular MPEs is usually they lose a whole side of the family. And I didn't. I only lost half. So now my dad is my third cousin. And my, well, my grandma and grandpa have passed, but my grandpa would have been my great uncle. And now my cousin, my first cousins are now my fourth cousins. It's kind of really messed up, but I'm still related to them. So I guess that's one good thing. But yeah, my family tree doesn't go straight up anymore. It has branches. I had told people at work and I literally had to draw it on the board so they would understand. Uh, yeah, because my my grandmother mother was my dad's father's sister. When I was born, somebody else's name was on my birth certificate. She told my dad that I was his and he got custody of me when I was like one and a half. I was a little neglected, um, well, majorly neglected by her. When I was one, he went to court and got full custody. She would drop by my grandma's house. We stayed at my grandma's uh, uh, quite a bit. And she would like come for the afternoon because that was her uncle's house too, you know? So, and uh, so they would visit. If you've been a victim of domestic violence, assault, trafficking, or child abuse, you may want to pause here and fast forward a couple of minutes. It's important to understand Deronda's mother in the context of mental illness. I remember a little bit, and then I remember uh, the kidnapping. Uh, I was playing in the front yard of my grandma's house, and she came by and, and took me, and took him a couple of days to find me. And I remember the police coming. I remember she bought me a dog. And then after that, she went to court to get, to get, try to get custody. And of course, you know, you're a young girl and, and you always want your mom to love you. No matter, back then you don't know they're crazy. I remember the social workers coming to my school. I think it was in second grade, you know, and they say, who do you want to live with? Oh yeah, my mom, you know, that sounds, but then she didn't show up for court anyways. But they did grant her visitation. That lasted probably four months. She would come get me once a month for the weekend. And then she'd disappear for years. And then she'd show up. So probably growing up, i probably seen her 10 times besides the, the four months when I got to spend the weekends. And one summer, I spent two weeks. She was married nine times by the time she was 40. She wasn't married to my dad. She wasn't married to my oldest brother's dad. It's always about her. I remember one time when I was 14, I went with my aunt and uncle back. She moved back to Oklahoma and we went and visited. She thought that I was getting more attention than her. And she tried to, well, she almost killed herself. She took an overdose and ended up in a coma. I remember one time she wasn't getting enough attention from somebody else. She shot herself in the stomach. No matter what I did, even when I grew up, I tried to have a relationship. It would always, I, I'm fat, you're fat. 
My oldest son had a little trouble with potty training. Why don't you rub his nose in it? She came to my wedding and left five minutes before the ceremony because she said I insulted her. I mean, just whatever she can do to make me feel little. She's still alive. And, and actually, I didn't talk to her for 10 years. And I started talking to her earlier this year. My youngest son is gay. And she said, well, I hope he doesn't molest little boys. And I told her to F off. And I didn't talk to her for 10 years. And then all this happened. And I'm a glutton, I guess. But, you know, it's been 10 years. And she's still my mother. And it's just how she is. You got to accept it or move on. And I decided to accept it. And I actually, you know, I talk to her a little bit now. I mean, I'm older now. So I just accept who she is and know how she is. And I've told her that if you go down that path, I won't ever speak to you again. And so far, it's pretty good. I mean, I don't talk to her all the time, like once a month. She still lives in Oklahoma. Extreme behaviors like Deronda's mother could be the result of undiagnosed mental illness and trauma. Part of the family legacy seemed to be trauma as Deronda's maternal grandfather was an alcoholic who went to prison for abusing her grandmother. Not a really common result in that day and age. Her grandmother was able to take the kids, including Deronda's mother, and flee for California. In 1962, her grandfather would attempt to find them in California, but died on the way in Arizona getting run over by a car while drunk. This sort of intergenerational trauma and chaos is a perfect recipe for mental illness. Now my grandmother, she's still alive. God bless her. She's 97. But she has always enabled my mother. Like if my mom's mad at you, my grandmother's not going to talk to you. But so, she, yeah, she always enabled her. Uh, trying to maybe make up for, you know, childhood. From what I hear, like my grandfather was meaner to my aunt than he was my mother. I don't, I can't say for sure. But, uh, you know, they moved around a lot. Very poor. My biological father worked with my grandmother and he gave her a ride home. My grandma introduced him to her. So they they only went out once. They went to the movie theaters. And on the way home, he said that she gave him a treat. My aunt was out from Arkansas. Her sister, that we were having a family reunion at the park. Well, I I don't remember. This is I've heard this my whole life though. And my aunt's like, well, you know, those those are nice looking boys, Mary. And and she, my aunt took them home. She gave them to her. So well, you can have them. So I actually didn't meet my brothers until I was fourteen. We asked Deronda if the man who was thought to be your biological father had any idea he wasn't. Oh, gosh, he had no clue. No, I mean, he was just out of the Navy. He was 25 when I was born, still living, you know, back at home, very poor. I mean, he ended up doing well. His sister, my aunt, ended up moving in with him when he got a job, and she would take care of me while he was working. And my grandmother, oh, God, she would... Thank God they're all gone, but she'd be devastated. They didn't like my mother anyways, but she probably would have hit her over the head with a broom if she found this out. I could see her. He was married to Rosie for like five years and she had a son and he adopted him. And then they had a little girl. That's when I said I lost my sister, but I was always his favorite. In spite of the chaos of her family, Deronda is leading a very happy life focused on growth and learning from the past. 
She's still trying to learn why she doesn't want to have much contact with her biological father, but has some great pearls of wisdom to get her through in the meantime. But doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? I can't let things get me down or bother me. Or I mean, I've did counseling over the years. I have problems with relationships. I don't let anybody get too close. And when they get too close, I, I, I destroy it. Or too good to be true. And why don't I just stop it before it hurts me? I think that's more of it. I was married for 12 years. If I go back, I do things differently, but it takes two. And I don't know where I get this from, but I just always want to do better. I don't know how to describe it. I just don't feel a, a anything in common with them. But I do try. And he, like he called last night just to see how I was doing. You just got to go on the roller coaster and hang on. Don't sweat the small stuff. And, you know, take it for what it is. Thanks to Deronda for sharing her very personal journey and family history. Not only does it help MPEs feel less alone, it gives a voice to the victims of domestic violence and trauma. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence in the United States, the National Domestic Violence Hotline Advocates are available at 1-800-799-SAFE and through online chatting at www.thehotline.org. If you or anybody you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please contact us at sexliesandthetruth.com. Sex, Lies, and the Truth is written and produced by Jody Klugman-Rab and Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact us through our website at www.sexliesandthetruth.com. If you are a fan of Sex, Lies, and the Truth and want to support us, you can do that through Patreon. Patreon is a really cool platform where fans of shows like ours can pledge a small amount each month, even just a few dollars, to support the show. You can find us there at www.patreon.com forward slash sex, lies, and the truth.